The call to worship is from Psalms 146. It can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 580. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On the very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those who help is God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigners and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. The scripture reading for today, I have chosen from today's English version, the Good News Bible. I like the wordings that was for this scripture reading, which is Philippians 2, 5 to 8. In the Pew Bible, it's 1085. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to become equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like man and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. Good morning once again. Happy Sabbath to all of you. Well, as Pastor Greg mentioned, that we are one of the very few Adventist ministries that are reaching out to Muslims around the world. How many of you know how many Muslims we have on this planet? Just approximately. Pastor knows. It's about 1.6 billion, and that is 23% of globe population. You know how many of them are being exposed to the angel's message? Less than 1%. There's a lot of work to be done. And uh, one of the uh, evangelical missionaries had a meeting uh, in the Middle East, in the country of Arabia, with uh, one of the sheikhs, and uh, the sheikh lost some of his children due to the war and conflicts. And as uh, he was leaving his home, there were several guests present. He said, may I speak to you privately? He said, yes, please. And he told him, a couple thousand years ago, a few thousand years ago, on a place, on one of the mountains, not far from here, our father Abraham in obedience to the word of God brought his son to that mountain to sacrifice him. You said that it was Ishmael, we claim it to be Isaac, but at this point it doesn't matter. The fact was, when Abraham's hand with knife, with an axe, with the instrument of death was about to come down upon his son. He has heard the voice. Stop it. I will provide my own son in the place of your son. And then he added, 2,000 years ago, on the mountain not far from here, God has fulfilled his promise. He sent his son, but at this time, the instrument of death did not stop. God had given his son to death 
So we will not lose our sons. And until we believe it, we will continue to sacrifice our sons in the wars. And that sheikh, bless his heart, he hugged him, he kissed this Christian man, and sent him away. You know, God sent his son for every human being, whether Buddhist or Christian or atheist or Muslim. And God wants that everyone would be saved. He paid the price for everyone. And uh, having that 1.6 billion Muslims and the commission was given to the Seventh-day Adventist Church to bring the fullness of the gospel to a dying world, we have a lot of work to do. And we are one of the very few Adventist ministries that are doing this work as produce and broadcast television programs. We are receiving calls. The first caller when we began broadcasting came from Iran, a lady, young woman. She said, I have prepared my instruments of suicide, was ready to take my life. My TV was on. I watched the program. I am changing my mind. Please pray for me. That was the first program that we aired, and that gave us an inspiration that God has hundreds and thousands of people in that part of the world who are seeking for a clearer knowledge of the living God. And just as we were broadcasting, continuing the broadcast, I'll tell you another story before I stop. We received a call from Iran from a woman that mentioned she received Jesus as she watched our programs. She received Jesus as her savior. And as a result, she said, when my husband found out, he began to beat me brutally. My two sons called me prostitute and they rejected me as a mother. And I've been taken to the doctors, to the hospital. They found tumor on my liver and they said it is a cancer. Brother, did I make a mistake by accepting Jesus as my savior? And uh, Gerald, whom you've seen here before, said, do you have a Quran? Because she mentioned that she doesn't have a Bible, there is not a single Christian around, there is no churches around. And she hesitated for a moment and then asked him, are you a Christian? He said, yes, just get the Quran. And the reason why he asked her to get the Quran, because you see from the Quran, oh, in the Quran, they have taken the New Testament passages that says about Jesus certain things. For example, that Jesus is the son of Mary, he is the Messiah, he is the son of God, he is a life giver. He is risen from the dead. He is to be followed and obeyed. And there is a list of 30, 40 statements taken from the New Testament and placed in the Quran. And as he led through a few of the scriptures in the Quran that was actually New Testament scriptures placed there, he said, read this to your husband, sit next to him and read. And as she did, oh, he promised to call in uh, week, but uh, we didn't. In about three months, we received a call from the same woman, and she said that uh, I have read these passages to my husband, and let me tell you what happened. Every time that he leaves home, going to work, before he leaves, he is kissing my hands. My two sons reconciled to me. They love me, and uh, I've been taken to the hospital. They operated me. They found no tumor on my liver. They saw me back. I am okay. And I tell you what I will do. I have some funds. I will go to a neighboring country of Armenia, and I will build there a church. I will buy a parcel of land, and I will build a church for my people who wants to follow Jesus, to worship him, so they can do it freely without any persecution. And... Uh, we didn't believe. We just said, yes, okay. And guess what happened? In about a few months, we are receiving a call from Armenia. It's the same woman calling and stating that I am in the country of Armenia. I have bought a parcel of land. I have about 15 people with me who are building the church. Please send to us all the materials that you have. TBN and CBN, they are saying that on each call or letter that you are receiving, 
It is indication of 1,000 people that responded to the show. That's a statistic that they are giving. So this one caller that is dramatically, her life in changed, is changed, and what a rippling effect on the people around. We don't know a total effect of our programs that we produce on broadcast, but one thing we know, that on the other side of eternity, we will see those results. And until then, we just have to work by faith. And uh, CBN today is spending $1 million every month to produce and broadcast programs to Iran alone, because Iran harboring half a billion people. It's a home for half a billion people. And Muslims from all other countries living there, they are targeting them so they can take the gospel to their countries. And we, having a fullness of the gospel, we don't have enough funds to produce and broadcast as evangelicals do. So you all receive the ministry envelopes at the end. There will be a love offering taken for the ministry. And uh, I uh, will stop it here because time is ticking and uh, I will let Anne to bless us with music before we open the word of God. Sabbath Shabbat Shalom. How is your faith today? Are you praising God? When you are in the middle of the storm too? You are praising Him? Okay, that's good. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, restores my life. He leads me the way of righteousness for His name's sake. my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul restores my life he Parts of righteousness for his name's sake. Though if I go through the body of the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your staff and your rod, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with all my God.
Thank you, Anne. Before I open the Word of God with you, I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Gracious, loving Father, once again, I want to thank you for this beautiful Sabbath. Thank you for calling us to come into your presence. Thank you for the faith, Father. It is a gift from you. And Lord, as we spend this moment with you and with one another, opening your word, we pray as we open our hearts, speak to us, Father. May we walk out from the church today not the same as we came in because of your presence and of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, I often think when I visit churches and pastors did not tell me when shall I stop, whether it is a sign of like go on, when the spirit stops you, you can stop. <laughs> In Georgia, I've been told as I just uh, uh, stood up to preach before I got up from the pew, pastor just told me, Grant, if you don't finish at 12 o'clock, and that was 11.48, our people will begin to walk out from the church. I said, thank you. <laughs> But uh, we are not in Georgia. In the meantime, I don't plan to take your entire day. But uh, I just want to share what God has laid on my heart today. Would it be okay with you? Now, shall I share that with the stories or without stories? Hmm. So this is the church that likes the stories. Let me share one before I begin so we can kind of get connected. <clears throat> I was a young atheist in Russia who at age 20 was drafted to serve in Russian army. And uh, from the south part of Russia, they took him all the way to Siberia. He spent there two years and the climate was very harsh. The winters are eight months. When he came back from serving in Siberia, he was very seriously ill, spent six years in hospitals, and at the end of six years, doctors told him that you have one year to live. Imagine what could go through the mind of an atheist. If you have just one year before you, not knowing God, there is no hope, just one year of misery and pain. And at that time, by the grace of God, somebody has given him the Bible. As he began to read the Word of God and act upon the principles that he is finding there, his health began to improve. At the same time, the wife of this young man is finding a book, a used book on a street market called Ministry of Healing. As they reading the Bible and the Ministry of Healing and acting upon the health principles found in these books, the life of this young man was restored. Doctors for six years couldn't do anything. The Word of God has done it. Twenty-five years ago, that young man was given one year to live. And it is by the grace of God alone that he is standing before you today. Isn't God good? Every morning I get up, before my foot touches the floor, you know what I do? I thank him for one more day. Yes. What about you? Yes. Are you dragging yourself from the bed saying, oh, another day? Or are you praising God for one day of life, one more day? With all the blessings in it, even the trials we can consider as blessings according to the scripture. I'd like to share with you today something that changed my heart and my life and that is the cross of Christ and I believe that today you will walk out from the church not the same as you came in 
I will build the foundation. It will take me about 15 minutes. Those who will endure those 15 minutes, you will be blessed. Feel sorry for those who will lose me. I am a soft-spoken person. Some people can raise their voice in a way that to keep the audience awake. But I'll do my best by the grace of God to keep your attention. An artist's daughter lost her sight at infancy. And after her mother died, her father was her constant companion. Her blindness was considered incurable, but a few years later, a new surgical technique promised to restore her vision, her sight. And as she lay recuperating in her hospital bed, her brightest thought was, now I shall see my father. The day came when the bandages were taken off from her eyes. She opened her eyes and for the first time she has seen her father. As he embraced her, she exclaimed, I have had a good-looking father all these years and I didn't even know it. My dear brothers and sisters, we have such heavenly Father, and so many not even knowing how merciful, loving, forgiving, gracious, tender, holy, and just our Father is. And it is because a true picture of God, the true picture of God was distorted in the Garden of Eden. But, praise God, it was restored on the cross of Calvary. And the best way to see a true, undistorted picture of God is to see it through the cross of Jesus. I will attempt today to take you to the cross and to picture, to show you that beautiful, undistorted picture of God. As you behold that picture, you will desire to behold that picture every day of your life. And if you do it every day of your life, the promise is you will be changed into the likeness of what you behold. In a special way, I want to get attention today of our young people. How many young people do we have here? May I see hands, please? Wow, just only a few. So the rest of you are in the category of old, right? <laughs> for all of you, young and older. This is for all of you. You ready to take the journey to the foot of the cross with me today? Okay, I will begin with a statement that is found in the Gospel Workers. It reads, The sacrifice of Christ as an atonement for sin is the great truth around which all other truths cluster. In order to be rightly understood and appreciated, every truth in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation must be studied in a light that streams from the cross of Calvary. Gospel Workers, page 315. At the very heart of the gospel message is the truth concerning the cross of Jesus. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18 said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. According to Apostle Paul, the power of God is in the preaching of the cross. And it is Satan's determined purpose to enshroud the truth of the cross in darkness. In this, he has had some measure of success. By convincing the Christian church to believe a lie that man possesses an immortal soul, he has rubbed the cross of its glory. You see, if, if death it is just a separation of the soul from the body, if the soul is immortal, that continues to live, it is only a separation, right? It is not goodbye to life forever. In which case, that which constitutes Christ's supreme sacrifice was just shame and torture of the cross. 
no different from those two thieves that were crucified with him. In fact, those two thieves were suffering longer on the crosses than Jesus, and their legs were broken. There are two factors that are rubbing the cross of its glory. Number one is the teaching of the immortality of the soul, and the second one is the perceiving of the cross of Jesus from the Roman perspective. While it is true that Christ was crucified on a Roman cross, we must remember that it was not Romans who demanded his crucifixion, but Jewish leadership. And for them, the cross had a different meaning. It is only as we perceive the cross of Jesus from the Jewish perspective that we can begin to grasp the meaning of his supreme sacrifice that demonstrated his infinite and unconditional love for us. Of which Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, that while we were ungodly, helpless, sinners, enemies of God, God had reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Have you ever wondered why the cross made such a tremendous impact on the disciples and early Christians? You see, disciples spent with Jesus three and a half years. They traveled with him. They heard him preach. They were taught by Christ. They witnessed his miracles. Yet at the end of three and a half years, they were still a group of greedy and self-seeking men. But then came the cross, and it completely transformed them. Now they were willing to be spent and to die for Jesus. Why? Because of what the cross meant to them. No wonder Apostle Paul said that I desire to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I want to glory in nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul wants to boast and glory on the symbol of shame. What is it that made the cross the central subject and the central theme of the New Testament preaching? I believe if we'll find the answer to this question, the church will never be the same. But the problem is that the devil knows that too. And he does his best to enshroud the truth of the cross in darkness. Why is it that Apostle Paul in our scripture reading says that Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross? Why is he emphasizing that even the death of the cross? The problem of most Christians is that they look at the cross from the very narrow point of view. Yes, crucifixion was the most painful and shameful, brutal way to kill a man, but it is if you see to it only from the Roman point of view. We know that even though Romans did the act of the crucifixion, they were fulfilling the desire of the Jewish leadership. And the crucifixion was not a Jewish custom. The custom was to stone. Why then they are asking Pilate, to crucify Jesus. Let's take a look at the cross from the Jewish point of view. Crucifixion was introduced by Phoenicians 600 years before Christ, later adopted by Romans as the highest form of punishment for rebels, runaway slaves, and worst criminals. Jews actually hated crucifixion, yet they shouted in one accord, crucify him. And Jesus submitted to it, even to the death of the cross. What did Jews have in mind when they shouted, crucify him? I will let the word of God answer this question. Apostle Paul states in Romans 8.32 that God did not spare his son. What is it that God did not spare his son from? From death. But which death? First death, which Jesus calls sleep, or it is a second death, eternal death. Now open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, please. Gospel of John, chapter 19. In this passage, we have Jesus in the Pilate's court. Pilate questioned Jesus and did not find anything in him deserving death. Yet, in verse 7 of John 19, the Jews are telling to Pilate, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die. 
What law are they referring here to? The same verse answers the question. Because he made himself the son of God. That is equal to God. Now, did they have a law that condemns the one who made himself the son of God? Yes. The law of blasphemy. God gave this law in Leviticus 24, verse 16. If you open your Bibles and take a look at this law. Leviticus 24, verse 16. Leviticus 24, 16, it reads, And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. So the Jews, this law, not only saying that the person had to die, it tells us how he had to die. To be stoned. So the Jews are telling to Pilate, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die. Did they know how a person had to die, or they forgot about it? Take a look at John chapter 10 now. John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. John 10, verse 30 and 31. Jesus speaking to the Jews here. I and my father are one. And then verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why did they pick up stones? It is because they knew the law and they were executing the law. Why then they are asking Pilate to crucify Jesus, especially since the crucifixion is not the Jewish method of execution? It is because there was another law in which they were more interested in. You see, the Jews of Christ's days identified crucifixion with hanging on a tree. To the Jew to be crucified meant that you have committed an unpardonable sin and being punished by irrevocable curse of God, the equivalent of the second death of Revelation 20. By crying out, crucify him, the Jews actually were asking God to pour irrevocable curse, the wrath of God upon his son that he may experience eternal death, goodbye to life forever. And we must remember that the Jews did not believe in the immortal soul. That was a Greek concept that came later. And the law that they are referring here to is found in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Open with me Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. It reads, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on a tree, but you shall surely bury him the day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Let me give you a brief comparison between dying by stoning and dying by hanging on a tree. If a person is condemned to die by stoning, while he is being stoned, he may turn to God as he is dying. He may turn to God in repentance and have hope for eternal life. But if a person would be, would be told, after you are killed, you will be hanged on a tree, that meant irrevocable curse of God. That mean, meant Forsaken by the life giver. That meant eternal death. Goodbye to life forever. This person was finished before God and man. Let me give you a couple of references. You remember when Israelites, Joshua brought Israelites to the promised land. Five kings joined forces together. They fought against Israelites. These people knew what took place 40 years ago in Egypt. They knew that the God of Israel is a true God. God gave them 40 years of grace so they can open the gates of their cities, the gates of their hearts, and invite them. Instead, they joined their forces together and they fought against God's people. And by fighting against God's people, they were fighting against God himself. So God gave victory to Israelites. Joshua captured these five kings brought them before Israelites, and basically what he said is, 
These people are not your enemies. They are enemies of God. Therefore, you shall kill them and hang them on a tree. Why? To show that irrevocable curse of God was upon these people. Another instance, when Israelites rebelled in 70 AD against Romans, the temple was destroyed. Romans were crucifying 60, 50 Jews every single day. Those who rebelled against Romans, those who were heroes of the nation fighting for their freedom. In my country where I came from, for those people who are fighting for the freedom of the nation, we build monuments. Did you know the Jewish historians never mentioned the name of those heroes who were crucified in the writings? Because they considered them to be accursed of God. And when Jesus was in the temple and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Inspired writings, the Tsar of Ages saying to us that they understood him very well that he meant his own body. And at the time of Jesus, the high priest was Caiaphas. Caiaphas did not belong he belonged to the party of Sadducees, and Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Jesus challenged their belief by raising people from the dead. And by raising people from the dead, Sadducees became the most bitter enemies of Jesus. That's why they were stirring up the crowd to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus submitted to it. They actually wanted God to lay his curse on him that he would never rise again and the memory of him would be forgiven, forsaken. Now when the Jews were shouting, crucify him, in fact, they were asking God to pour that irrevocable curse and the wrath upon his son. That cup of wrath of which Revelation speaks, full of wrath without any mixture, and of which Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God put his curse, his wrath, upon Jesus Christ or not? Yes or no? No. Any other answer? Come on, you can, you can answer that question. All right, whether yes or no, that will be correct. Here's why. God did not curse his son for blasphemy because Jesus Christ is the son of God. But the curse that belongs to me and belongs to you, God allowed to fall on Jesus on the cross. How can we know it? In Genesis, right out of, after Adam's fall, God is speaking to Adam and Eve. Cursed is the ground for your sake and will produce thorns and thistles. What was on the head of Jesus when he was on the cross? The crown of thorns. A symbol of curse. Curse that was pronounced on our entire planet, on each one of us. Jesus came to take upon himself. Amen. Let me reinforce this with the scripture. Open with me Galatians chapter 3, please. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It reads, Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That includes each one of you and me. Take a look at verse 13 now. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ 
became curse for you and for me. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see now the meaning of the death of the cross? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out to the Father, 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 why have you forsaken me? Did you know what Father did? According to Isaiah 53 and 59, he turned away his face from his son and said, let him die. Did you know why? See, God has put us in Jesus. And Jesus has taken upon himself everything that we deserve. And when he went on the cross, and he hanged on the cross, and Father looked at him, Father did not see Jesus. Because Jesus took my place. Because Jesus went on the cross as Grant, as you. He basically changed his name to Grant. And when he was hanging on a cross, Father did not see Jesus. He saw Grant on the cross. He saw you. Whoever you are, you can put your name. And when he saw you there on the cross, he said, let him die. And what a merciful God. He didn't allow you to go to the cross. He let his son to go and suffer for you. That's how much God loves you and me. Let me tell you about that love. In John 17, 23, Jesus is praying to his father, 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 that they may know that you love them as you love me. I am bringing it home just by paraphrasing. My dear young people, this is your anchor. Please listen carefully. Here's what it means. God the Father loves you not less than he loves Jesus Christ. I have to repeat this again because... You either shocked or I lost you already. <laughs> this is the paraphrase of John 17, 23. God the Father loves you not less than he loves Jesus Christ. <sighs> and then John 15, 9. Jesus is saying, just as much as Father loves me, I love you that much. So we have... God the Father who loves us infinitely. We have God the Son who loves us infinitely. And then Jesus does something so radical that every one of us may believe. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, he goes on the cross and signs what he said with his own blood. And as he is hanging on a cross, he is tempted three times. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. Jesus is the Son of God. He could save himself. Coming down from the cross and save himself. But he could not, by coming down from the cross and saving himself, save us also at the same time. He had to make a choice. And the choice that Jesus made, that choice, as you look at the cross, are the unspoken words of Jesus to every human being. And that cross speaks loudly to me. I don't know about you. Amen, brother. One day, in my heart and in my mind, I have heard, as I was meditating on the cross of Jesus, I have heard this in my heart, and I am sharing this with every human being. I want to share this with you. Whoever you are, whatever color of skin you have, Jesus says from the cross, it doesn't matter. Amen. Whatever country you are coming from, it doesn't matter. Whatever your physical condition and ability, it doesn't matter. Whatever you have done in the past, it doesn't matter. I love you more than I love myself. That's the message of the cross. That's who God is. Some of you may be sitting here today and cannot forgive yourself for the things you have done in the past. Thinking that God may not love me anymore. Let me tell you one thing. There is nothing you can do that God can love you less. And there is nothing you can do that he can love you more. God is love. 
And he showed that on the cross. He loves you more than he loves himself. So, the truth of the cross, that Jesus was willing to lose his own existence to save you and me. On the cross, he earned for you and me the title to heaven. But he did not suffer the agony of the cross just to forgive you and leave you in sin. On the cross, God made sufficient provision to break the power of sin in our lives. Do you believe that? He offers to us the solution for the sin problem. And that is the life of Jesus. Matthew 121 says, You shall bring forth a child, a son, and he will save his people from their sins. Not in their sins, from their sins. And that includes every Adventist, every non-Adventist, every non-Christian, every Buddhist. Those who believe in him, God is able to break the power of sin in their lives. Is God Almighty? Or he is limited. I'm not saying about the holy flesh. That flesh will be sinful until the day of Jesus coming. We will have that inclination to sin. But what we will do with that inclination will be determined by the power and the life of Jesus in you. Maybe Revelation 3.20 will come to you now in a new way. Jesus said, I'm standing at the door and knock. In original, it doesn't say a hesitant knock. It says banging with a sense of urgency because Jesus knows if he will not come in, sin will destroy us. The good news is this. Jesus already lived in human flesh. Divinity indwelt humanity and he conquered sin in the flesh. And the reason why Jesus wants to come in into your life and mine, because he wants to repeat the same experience in our lives. Are we letting him to come in? And if we do, is he coming as a resident or just as a visitor? That will determine, determine your Christian life. So I invite you to come to the foot of the cross every day of your life. As you behold the cross... Meditate on the sins of the cross. There's something will be happening that you are not aware yet. Let me share with you a story. In England, in the subway of London, there is a station that has a large cross. And as people travel through the subway of London and they come to that station, they know where they are. And they know which direction to go from there. Once a little girl was lost in the subway of London. And she was sitting on a sidewalk and crying. A policeman was walking by. As he saw this little girl crying, she came up to her and asked her, Why are you crying? She said, I am lost. I am lost. And uh, he said to her, Well, give me your mom's phone number. I will call her. She will come and get you. That's how simple it is. And she said, I don't know my mom's phone number. And he said, well, tell me your address. I'll take you home. She said, I don't know my address. And she kept crying. He said, okay, tell me your street address, the name of your street. I will take you there. We'll find your home. She kept crying, saying, I don't know the name of my street. And the policeman, frustrated, asked her the last question, saying, tell me what do you know? Suddenly... She stopped crying. There was a spark in her eyes. She wiped her tears. And she said with a smile, If you can take me to the cross, I will find my way home from there. If you can take me to the cross, I will find my way home from there. My dear brothers and sisters, that's how important it is for every Christian to come daily to the foot of the cross and to meditate what happened on the cross, your shame, your guilt, 
your condemnation, your second death, your judgment was taken away from you. Let me give you a good news. A second death is not in your future. Did you know that? Because your second death has fallen on Jesus on the cross. And as you appreciate what has taken on the cross, what took place on the cross, and in your heart there is a gratitude for the gift of Jesus and all the benefits, the response of God that He is imparting the Holy Spirit to you. To every grateful heart, the Holy Spirit is freely given, and it's not a power. Ellen White says very clearly, Desire Wages, page 805, the impartation of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. Here you have it. Jesus living in you. And the news is, Jesus is not attracted to sin. Jesus is attracted to holiness. That's how we have victory over sin in our lives, not by the strength of our backbone. Letting Jesus to come in. Be your daily companion in your life. Every moment spent with Jesus. And the sin will become repulsive to you. Even though you're going to have that urge. It is Jesus in you that will break the power of sin in your life. Isn't that a good news? We are helpless. Hopeless. We were hopeless and helpless. But in that state of helplessness, seeing the condition of the humanity, God is so generous that he provided the way of escape. Your sins are pardoned? You believe that? You rejoice in that? Your second death is taken away from you? And the life of Jesus is made available to you? What else would win? It is, Maurice Vanden said, it is harder to be lost than to be saved. With the God as we have, with Jesus our Savior, and by the way, He is the only Savior. Some of you may be trying to be a co-saviors with Jesus. It will never work. Jesus is the only Savior. If you surrender to Him, you are in a safe hands. So my dear young people, life will throw challenges at you. Your boat will be rocked. And unless you have the anchor, your boat may even sink. You may forget the values you've been raised with. You may forget about God, leave the church, and wander in the world as a prodigal son, unless you have an anchor. Your anchor is Jesus Christ, who loves you more than he loves himself. No matter what the life will throw at you, hold on to that anchor, and you will, he will bring you to a shore to a safe heaven. Amen? Amen? So God bless you all as you make it your habit.